0: This is our third look at Jesus engaging with others on the road to Jerusalem. Uh, In the first instance, someone asked Jesus if only a few would be saved, and he spoke of a narrow door that is closing. Uh, But you might be surprised at who gets in and gets a place at the feast. So what will it take to get in and who will get in? In the second event, Jesus himself turned to the huge crowds and talked about the cost of following him. Chapter 14, the free gift of grace will cost everything. So the question is who will be saved? How uh, have you counted the cost? In this third event, the question is this. Have you been standing in the wrong queue? We all know what it's like to stand in the wrong queue. Maybe it's one of those really long queues, and your patience is entirely consumed in the waiting. And when you get to the front of the queue, you discover that this queue is for getting in, but you were supposed to be standing in the queue to put your name on the list of those who are going to get in. I think we've all had an experience, something like that. Luke's gospel is full of people who are standing in the wrong queue. And in this third event that unfolds while Jesus is on this road to Jerusalem, we meet up with 10 desperate men. They're outsiders to, well, they're outsiders to everything and everybody. 10 lepers come to Jesus in hope, desperate to receive the blessings and benefits of the kingdom. And these are intended to be signs for us, The cue to reading a sign, of course, the key to reading a sign is in the context. If you get that wrong, you miss the point of the sign. There's a really common sign that I've seen uh, throughout New South Wales. It says this, falling rocks do not stop. (laughs) Indicative or imperative? (laughs) What about this one I saw riding more or less on the outskirts of Washington, DC? It said, open joints on bridge as someone who, like me, grew up in the 60s and 70s, my brother turned to me and said, I didn't even know we were supposed to bring any. <laughs> so what does the story in front of us point to? Look, the point isn't to teach us that Jesus can heal leprosy. If we've been reading in Luke, we already know that. Uh, In chapter 5, verse 13, he healed leprosy. And in chapter 7, when those messengers came from John the Baptist, he said, well, go and tell them what you see. Um, They say, are you the one? He says, go back and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and the lepers are healed. So we know that Jesus can heal leprosy. We already know that he's able to do that. So what are we supposed to get from this passage? And of course, this passage continues that journey to Jerusalem and continues to answer those questions about who gets saved and how they get saved. We might even speak at this point of eschatological healing of entry into the kingdom. So the first thing I want us to observe, verses 11 to 13, the benefits of the kingdom are for begging outcasts. 11 to 13, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee in this sort of no-man's land, and he was going into a village, and there are ten men who had leprosy who meet him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They live in a shadow land. Uh, In a sense, they're not really alive, but they're not dead. They're unclean as a corpse, yet they're still full of emotion and pain and a sense of isolation. Some of them were decaying while they were still alive. They're contagious, they're fearsome. They're, they're, contextualizing here, like zombies. I thought the main issue as I started looking at this was the physical one, but once you start to explore a bit deeper than that, you find that in many ways the bigger issue relates to cleanness and uncleanness and the consequences of uncleanness. They didn't have a robust theory of germs and bacteria and disease being contagious, but they viewed leprosy like touching a dead body. I don't think that they thought touching a dead body would hurt you, but they did think that touching a dead body would make you unclean and therefore it would exclude you from the life of the people. So they thought in terms of uncleanness and passing that status on to others. And so these uh, 10 stand outside the crowds and they call out for mercy and in this do you see the faith they're showing first of all they, they meet Jesus which could be mere coincidence we don't know but uh, they call out and they're calling out I think is an expression of faith they're going as recorded in verse 14 was an act of faith and so we see that all ten start well and all ten receive the benefits of the kingdom don't they Many people all around us, I'm convinced, receive benefits of the kingdom, but they don't follow Jesus. The peace and prosperity, the good education, many of the uh, other elements of our quality of life here in Australia, wouldn't you agree with me? This is the result of the spread of kingdom benefits throughout our country. But that doesn't mean everyone is right with God and therefore heirs of the kingdom, Let's not think that receiving kingdom benefits is the same as inheriting the kingdom. Some people have nothing to do with God, yet they get those benefits. Uh, In some measure, they experience God's goodness in our lives and in our society. Some who have more to do with Jesus and who, in many cases, receive even greater benefits might still find themselves on the outside of the banquet looking in. Verse 14, my second observation is that the benefits of the kingdom are from its powerful king. The believer is not exhorted to build or bring the kingdom. That's the task of the king. The believer is called to join, to seek, to long for, to expect, and enjoy the kingdom. So let's let God be God and us do our part. In Luke 5.13, Jesus touches the beseeching leper and then he commands, be clean. Here he doesn't do any of that. We don't even get the impression that he approaches them or that they approach him. Well, how could they? Jesus is in the midst of this great crowd that's on its way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They can't come near. They can't approach Jesus. People would contract uncleanness. And if they do that, then they're excluded from the Passover, the very thing that they've set off to participate in. So Jesus might be able to get away from the crowd for a moment, uh, to separate himself from the crowd and go to the lepers, but that would be tricky as well. Would he be able to separate himself from all those people who are following him? How would those traveling to the festival view someone in their midst who just engaged with lepers? Ten of them. In chapter 13, some warn Jesus of Herod's desire to kill Jesus. Jesus says, Harry's not really the threat here. He's going to Jerusalem to die as God's anointed one. Similarly, Jesus will be killed outside the camp, rejected as unclean, despised by God and man, but it won't be because he's touched a leper, at least not in the way we're talking about right now. So 10 lepers call to Jesus in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus calls back show yourselves to the priests no touch no prayer nothing dramatic he isn't even there when they get healed do you ever call to the Lord when he isn't there how do you process the presence and absence of Jesus in your hour of need he simply tells the ten to go and present themselves to the priests in 1714 He commands to show to the priests. In Leviticus 14, that's what you do after you are healed. You go and present yourself, no doubt for the good of the people. You get the all clear from the priest. It takes place outside the camp and it involves sacrifices. Luke 14 goes into great detail about what you need to do if you're too poor even to afford the sacrifice. In other words, it's, it's all about that presentation and the sacrifices jesus the king is so extraordinary and so generous in his gift giving that he's able to shower his benefits on these men who are cut off from the life of israel my third observation third point is in verses 15 and 19 what i said to this point is that the benefits of the kingdom are for the begging outcasts and that the benefits of the kingdom are from its powerful king my third point is that salvation belongs to the faithful sinner who comes to Jesus. Verses 15 to 19. Verse 14, as they went they were cleansed. And we've all seen scenes in movies where um, a person is maybe is being burned or he's coming undone in some way. And it makes me wonder when did these lepers notice that the film had started running backwards? It's like time-lapsed photography in reverse. What was their experience like? Suddenly the man with three fingers can clap his hands. The man without a leg can jump up and down. The blind leper can see clearly. Or maybe they just had a white spot that had faded. We don't know. But we do know that at least this man was recognizably different. And he knew it. But Luke doesn't focus on sores or wounds or a rash or shiny spot or raw flesh turned white, the way Leviticus 13 does. Instead, Luke focuses on the man's response. So now we learn about three actions performed by this former leper. And it's a picture again of faith in action, expressed with three finite verbs and a couple participles. Having received Christ, he first of all returned to Jesus with a great voice glorifying God. I was once in a city that had just won a championship in a major sporting event. It was the first time, and so maybe it was even a little bit unexpected. People poured into the streets, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands, and they just celebrated together. Someone brought bongos and played away, and people sang songs. They expressed joy. I think that's what this guy was doing. Only his joy was focused not on the great feeling or even on the joy itself it was focused on the god who had delivered him who had given him life he returned to jesus with a great voice glorifying god secondly he fell on his fe- face so he fell on his face at jesus feet thanking him one day every knee will bow the leper just got a head start but there's something beautiful happening here the man who earlier had called from a distance now comes so close that he's at jesus feet Why? Because Jesus had reached out to him in this healing, and so he can now come to Jesus. And he isn't just filled with joy, he's filled with recognition. Recognition that focuses on Jesus. And he's filled with gratitude, and he expresses his thanks to his king. And the third verb is, and he was a Samaritan. He expresses his thanks to his king, but can Jesus really be his king? Luke holds this back. The man was a Samaritan. He didn't go to the priest or to the temple. He didn't offer a sacrifice. He didn't thank the God uh, who works through the priests in the temple. Instead, he reverses course and he finds Jesus and thanks him. That's how the man responds. So how does Jesus himself respond? Well, with three questions. Jesus' questions go from ten to nine to one. Like that closing door, they're narrowing things down. Didn't all ten receive healing? What about the other nine? Where are they? Haven't they come to praise God? The effect is to strip everything away till we're left contemplating one leper and Jesus. So where are the other nine? Well, one suspects they're headed to the priests. That's what Jesus told them to do. Just as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, well, so are they now for the first time in who knows how long these former lepers could approach the temple they could join in with the throng with the songs that they're singing the celebration of the crowds, and they can participate in the feast where else would they be but if they went to jerusalem and jesus is on the road it's virtually inconceivable that they're going to find jesus again so this one apparently as he recognized the miracle that had been worked in his person, turns to find the source of that power in mercy, and he's filled with gratitude. You know, when later Jews reflect on uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 and the restoration of lepers, they often express it in terms of gratitude. Uh, so Josephus writes this, but if, by, if any, by supplication to God, obtains release from this disease and recovers a healthy skin, Such a one returns thanks to God by diverse sacrifices. He thinks that those sacrifices are expressions of thanksgiving to God. Josephus thinks that about these sacrifices, even though if you read in Leviticus, you see immediately that they're guilt and atonement sacrifices. They're temple-based expressions, though, of thanksgiving to God. One leper, however, doesn't go to the old. He goes to the new. He doesn't go to the temple to express his gratitude to God. He finds Jesus to express his praise to God, his gratitude, even his submission, and now it's all directed to Jesus. This one, in returning to Jesus, gives praise to God. That's what Jesus says in verse 18. By turning to Jesus and thanking him and falling down before him in adoration, the leper has returned to give praise to God. Verse 16 tacked down a note at the end, and he was a Samaritan. The worst, hardest case of all, he's the only one who came back. Now in Jesus' third question in verse 18, he asks if none have returned to praise God except this foreigner. As far as I can find it, this word appears a lot in the Old Testament, but only twice in writings that might interest us. It only appears... <laughs> My apologies. My apologies. <laughs> It appears in the temple on signs that say no foreigner can go past this point on penalty of death. And it appears in Luke chapter 17 as Jesus describes this foreigner. This is an outsider to the temple. Why didn't he go to the temple? Well, maybe because he knows he can't get in. Maybe he doesn't go there because. He knows he would be excluded from everything going on there. Even though he's no longer a leper, he'd still be excluded from the business end of the temple. So whatever is thinking, he's an alien to the religious life of Israel, and until a moment ago, he had been a leper. But the king is powerful enough, and his kingdom is big enough to bring even the likes of this one, this leprous Samaritan, now cleansed so that he can be counted among the people of the kingdom. So in the end, he receives more than he asked for, more than he could imagine. Jesus says, and the NIV doesn't uh, uh, say it this way, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Many benefit from Jesus' work, even those who don't know him. Earlier I said the benefits of the kingdom belong to the begging outcast. That doesn't mean every begging outcast will find salvation. In this case, all ten received the great blessing in that they were cleansed. So verse 14 tells us. But the word changes in verse 19, and the translation ought to be, has saved you. All of them received physical healing, but this one receives something more. He receives life itself. He was metaphorically and symbolically dead, and Jesus healed him. He was spiritually without life. And Jesus saved him. So what should we say as we wrap things up? The argument of the section is a point and counterpoint. A leper from the Samaritans was saved. And the Jews who were equally in need settled for a whole lot less. The next paragraph shows an even starker contrast. unbelieving Pharisees ask about the kingdom and Jesus says it's in your midst. It's right here. Why won't you receive it? Imagine telling them that they need to submit to Jesus, fall at his feet, and become like the Samaritan leper. That's a pretty hard sell for those who thought they were pretty secure already in their relationship with God. But what about you? Are you standing in the right queue? Are you signed up for real and tangible benefits like better family prospects, being spared certain types of addictions, pretty good job prospects? There are many this-world benefits in Christianity, at least in Sydney there are, But even better is the thought that we're in line for the ultimate kingdom benefits. So what about me? What about us? Do we ever get beyond the superficial thoughts about a God who demands everything? The Bible says you really can have it all, but it will cost you everything. Or do we settle for children's toys and a diet of sugar? We've got so much, but this king promises more. Let's not accept a gospel that falls short of what Jesus wants for us. And worse yet, let's not hold out a gospel to others that looks and sounds wise, but the end thereof is destruction. Jesus overthrows disease, mayhem, the horrors of life, but those aren't the last or ultimate enemy. 1 John 3 tells us, The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. There is a hope and there is a kingdom. We've been talking for three weeks about Jesus' encounter on the road to Calvary. He keeps telling us that we need to respond the right way to Jesus. How do you get in? Who is getting in? Not the wise and powerful. Turns out that it's the downtrodden, the aliens, the unclean who have been made right by Jesus. And if those are the two categories of humanity, well, which one do you fit in? How do you get in? Who is getting in it turns out to be those who persevere in trusting Jesus who receive all that he has to offer. Let's pray. Father we thank you for hope that extends beyond what we see. Thanks for the ongoing offer of a relationship with you, of sins forgiven, and a place at the feast. Please help us we pray especially in those moments when we need to reset when we need to refocus so we see less of ourselves and more of you, please help us be grateful servants of this King, for we ask this in his name.